0: what is going on sports fans and welcome back to another edition of the jack of all trades sports podcast presented by anchor it's season three episode 28 and we've got an absolutely loaded show for you today we obviously start with the nfl a full week 16 recap we also pick Each game in week 17, talk about where the playoff picture stands heading into the last two weeks of the season. Recap the Browns' Christmas Day loss to the Green Bay Packers and much more. We also talk about some of the storylines in the NBA. Um, LeBron James having one of his best individual stretches of basketball and the Lakers are struggling. Can they turn it around? The Cavs continue to impress. Are they a lock for the playoffs? And we also talk about some other NBA storylines, including the effect that COVID is having on the sport, and much, much more. But before we get into all of that, this episode, as always, is brought to you by Anchor. Anchor is the easiest way to make podcasts. podcast. It gives you creation tools, editing tools, everything you need to make your very own podcast that gives to you right from your phone or computer. So if you want to make your own podcast, you need to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm online to get started today. Today is Monday, December 27th. Let's go. And welcome back to Season 3, Episode 28 of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast presented by Anchor. It's Monday, December 27th, and it's time to recap Week 16. We start in Jerry World in Dallas where the Cowboys had offensive and defensive linemen score touchdowns. Dak Prescott threw for 321 yards and four TDs before halftime to make some weird history. And Washington's defense had more fights on the sidelines than they did on the field with their season on the line. It's safe to say that football season is effectively over in D.C. As the Cowboys clinch the NFC East and win 56-14. We go to Kansas City where the Steelers took on the Chiefs and it was a bloodbath. Kansas City is finally playing the way we expect them to and Pittsburgh is making the wrong kind of history. the first team in NFL history to trail by 23 in the first half of three straight road games. No touchdowns in the first half of five straight games for the first time since 1940. Ben Roethlisberger can't hang up the cleats fast enough and for the Chiefs. Pat Mahomes was eating Pringles all day as he found Byron Pringle twice for TDs. And the Chiefs roll 36-10. We go to Las Vegas where the Raiders took on the Broncos in a loser-leaves town game. Both teams sat at 7-7, and the team that would win would have a great chance at making the playoffs. Hunter Renfro is sneaky good, and so is Las Vegas. Considering the way the two teams ahead of them in the wildcard race, Baltimore and the Chargers had played, the Raiders just might mess around and make the playoffs despite an in-season coaching change as the Raiders win 17-13. We go to snowy Seattle where the Bears took on the Seahawks and the Nick Foles turned back the clock and led the Bears on an all-time drive, culminating in a great two-point conversion play by Darius Bird that gave the Bears a 25-24 win. Seattle is a last-place team for the first time since 2002 and have a double-digit loss season for the first time since 2009. If Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll are still Seahawks in April, I'll be stunned as the Bears win 25-24. We go to Cincinnati where the Bengals took on the Ravens, and I don't know if it was Joe Burrow's boredom in Cincinnati or Baltimore's injury-riddled secondary, but the Bengals took out years of frustration on the Ravens. Burroughs' franchise record, 525 yards, were the fourth most in NFL history, and his four touchdowns moved Cincy a sole possession of first place in the AFC North. They swept the Ravens and the Steelers. The Bengals have earned this division title they're potentially about to win. Meanwhile, Baltimore's four-game slide moves them from the one seed in the AFC to seventh in the conference in just a month's time. The Bengals win 41-21. We go to Philadelphia where the Eagles took on the G-men in an NFC showdown, and it wasn't much of a showdown at all. Jake Fromm got his first start in the NFL, but the Eagles were running and flying all over the place. Two things are proven here. Philadelphia is a serious playoff contender, and the Giants need to take a wrecking ball to their franchise and start over completely as the Eagles fly 34-10. We go to Minnesota where the Rams took on the Vikings in a star-studded matchup that included Justin Jefferson versus Jalen Ramsey. And although Justin Jefferson got over 100 receiving yards, that Rams defense did just enough to slow him down. Forget the playoff implications here. Watching Justin Jefferson break Odell Beckham Jr.'s record right in front of him, and then sounding off in the post-game press conference about what's wrong with Minnesota is peak 2021. But the Rams... Still overcame three Matthew Stafford interceptions and found a way to win. As they win, 30 to 23. We go to Carolina where the Bucks took on the Panthers and Matt Rule and the Panthers keep living a hard-knock life. And his 99 problems won't include getting seven years to fix things in Carolina. And if you can't respect Cam, your whole perspective is whack. Maybe you'll love him when his career fades to black. I just hope that's not as soon as it seems as Tom Brady and the Buccaneers just roll over the Panthers, 32-6. We go to New England and Foxborough, where the Bills took on the Patriots in an AFC showdown. Buffalo got payback for New, for New England throttling them a couple weeks ago, taking over first place in the AFCs, become the first team in 25 years to beat the Patriots in their own building by double digits in consecutive trips. I have no idea what to make of the Bills anymore, but Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs looked great yesterday, and I got one thing to say. No one circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills, as they win, 33-21. We go to Houston, where all I have to say is, hey, LA Chargers, if you can't stop Rock, Rex Burkhead or Simone Biles' b- boyfriend, you don't deserve to be in the playoffs, as the Texans win, 41-29. to We go to Atlanta, in kind of a who cares game, but not when you look at the seating. As the Falcons somehow find themselves still in the middle of a tightly packed NFC playoff race. Their playoffs hopes are alive for at least another week after beating barely beating a two-win Detroit team. As the Falcons win 20-16. We go to New York where it was a battle of the number one and number two overall pick as Zach Wilson and the Jets took on Trevor Lawrence and... The Jaguars, and the Jaguars are now on the clock as Zach Wilson had the best quarterback touchdown run of the year, scrambling for 52 yards and a TD, and the Jets get the best of the Jags, 26-21. We go on to Christmas Day as Santa Claus stopped by in Glendale, Arizona for the Carson Wentz and the Indianapolis Colts. Here's all we need to know about Arizona. Since 2020, the Cardinals are 12-3 in September and October, but just 6-9. From November on, I know injuries have played a role, but I feel vindicated for not taking this team too seriously. Good for Indy, though. Carson Wentz and them have overcome a rash of injuries to the Colts' offensive line to lead them to a crucial win that keeps them in the driver's seat for a playoff spot. If Indy gets healthy in time for the playoffs, they're a team nobody wants to face. As the Colts win 22-16. We go to the frozen tundra in Lambeau Field where Aaron Rodgers gets enough flowers as it is. But he did break Brett Favre's touchdown record for the Green Bay Packers. But the Browns found themselves in this game. Their defense shut down Green Bay in the second half of the game. But Baker Mayfield was enjoying the season of giving a little too much, becoming the first Browns quarterback since Brandon Whedon to throw four interceptions. This game gave Cleveland its answer on Baker Mayfield, I think. I don't think you can you can extend this man for big money. But what can the Browns do? I don't know. Surprisingly, their season is not done. But it was done on this day. As the Packers hang on, 24-22. We go to Nashville, where the Titans took on the 49ers. And... J- Ryan Tannehill barely outplayed Jimmy G as the last second field goal gave the Titans the Thursday night win. As the Titans win, 20-17. Week 16 is nearly in the books. That was the fastest five minutes in football presented by Anchor. And I say nearly is in the books because the Saints still play the Dolphins tonight on Monday Night Football. Now, when looking at our game picks, which we will do soon, I did pick the Saints, assuming Taysom Hill was going to play. And now it looks like Ian Book is in line to make the start. So with that being said, we're going to do it live on air. Just so you guys know, I'm not, I'm not cheating. I'm not going back on my word. But I will go ahead and take the Dolphins. And so far this week, we did about 500 on game picks. So it's another good week for us, I think it gets harder and harder to predict these games as we're about to get in here too. We're going to start talking about the playoff picture and more specifically what needs to happen for the Cleveland Browns to sneak into the playoffs and potentially still win the AFC North. But we are going to start recapping the Browns Packers game because who boy, it was something to watch, something to watch. Um, so the Browns had about as good of a start as you could have had in this game. Baker Mayfield finds Nick Chubb on a 41-yard screen pass, and they punch it in with Nick Chubb a couple of plays later. They go up 6-0, and then, of course, our kicker misses the extra point, and it's and it stays 6-0. Then Green Bay goes down. They score. They go down and score again. Aaron Rodgers breaks Brett Favre's touchdown record. He finds Alan Lazard. And Devontae Adams on a couple of touchdowns. They go up 14 to 6. But then the Browns come back down the field. Baker Mayfield finds Harrison Bryant. It's 14 to 12. And this game remained close throughout. But the Packers only scored three points in the second half. Baker Mayfield found Anthony Schwartz for his first NFL touchdown with about five minutes left in the fourth quarter. And you're thinking maybe the Browns have a shot. They just need to stop him to get the ball back. They get that stop after Aaron Rodgers barely overthrows Devontae Adams on a deep ball. And all of a sudden, it's 24-22. The Browns have the ball with a minute 50 left with a chance to go down and win the game. They got three timeouts. They got three timeouts. They run the ball. They get a couple of first downs. And then for some reason, Kevin Stefanski decides to throw the ball five times. Baker Mayfield gets intercepted, and the Browns lose 24-22. I alluded to it in the open, but this game, in my opinion, gave the Browns the answer on what not to do with Baker Mayfield. You cannot pay this man $40 million a year to be your quarterback. He had four interceptions. Four. And he's largely the reason you lost. Four interceptions. The Browns had Nick Chubb and Dearness Johnson... Averaging 7.4 yards a carry and 14.5 yards a carry. The offense was humming. Even Baker was, was running the ball, was moving the ball at some points. But he threw four receptions. Three of them were inexcusable, in my opinion. The last one there could have been defensive pass interference, and a lot of people were complaining about the refs, quote unquote, screwing over the Browns, but you can't bank on the refs to win you a game. Good teams do not bank on the refs. To give them a call that extends a game or wins them a game. Baker Mayfield threw four god awful interceptions. And the thing that is most concerning to me is he can't seem to lead the team down the field when they're down one score in the fourth quarter. He seems to be one of the most sti- st- statistically inaccurate and statistically incom- incompetent quarterbacks in that situation. I'll get you a couple stats here just to kind of outline that for you guys. And it sucks that I'm saying this. And it sucks that we're talking about a Baker Mayfield 4-interception performance and there are rumblings about if the Browns should even keep him next year, if they should try and trade him, or if they should cut him. That sucks because Baker Mayfield plays with a lot of heart and he wants to be here in Cleveland. And I respect the guy and I've rooted very, very hard for the guy. But at some point, you got to talk to yourself and you got to ask yourself, can a Case Keenum do any worse? Can a Mitch Trubisky do any worse? Can you draft a quarterback like a Kenny Pickett that would do any worse? You have to ask yourself these questions because right now, in my opinion, the Browns are a quarterback away. They are a quarterback away from being the best team in the NFL. And since Baker Mayfield is their quarterback and he's been playing at this level, that's why they sit at 7-8 and eight and they need some help to get into the playoffs. That's just my opinion. But we're getting some stats up here for you. Let's see what we got here. A lot of people have had some great takes on Baker that I have agreed with. And we got to see where they start. Baker Mayfield, this season in 2021, in the last four minutes of one score games, he is 11 for twenty six. For 74 yards, zero touchdowns, and two interceptions. And his passer rating is 17.8. Just to give you a little bit of perspective, he is worse than Sam Darnold in those situations. He's worse than Sam Darnold in those situations. That is not something you want to do. It's just, it's just frustrating to watch Baker Mayfield be the quarterback of this Browns team because I get nervous whenever... Baker Mayfield drops back to pass. I think it's going to get intercepted. But I don't know. And the thing that frustrates me the most, two of these situations happened in the last couple weeks. And coincidentally, the Browns need to lean on their running game. We We know the Browns need to lean on their running game once the weather shifts to snow, cold, rain, ice, all that in the later months in December and January. What two games... This year, did the Browns lose by six points, by two points? Both primetime games against the Packers and against Baltimore, and coincidentally, they are the most passes Baker has attempted all year: thirty-seven versus Baltimore, sixteen to ten loss; thirty-six on Christmas versus Green Bay, twenty-four to twenty-two loss. And coincidentally, Nick Chubb only had eight carries versus Baltimore and seventeen carries versus Green Bay, despite running the ball well. It's just very, very frustrating to watch. He Baker Mayfield is a good leader. He has the ability to make every throw. He works his butt off. He wants to be here in Cleveland. He plays through pain. He's very, very, very gritty. But he doesn't have the wins he doesn't have the numbers, and he's a turnover machine. And that is why I think Andrew Berry and Kevin Stefanski are going to have a tough, tough conversation to have at the end of this season, despite if the Browns make the playoffs or not. But there is another thing I wanted to touch on. I did mention that pass interference, but... A thing that really, really frustrated me is that the Browns had three timeouts available. They had over 200 yards rushing. Nick Chubb had runs of four, ten, and four yards to start the last drive. And Kevin Stefanski called five straight pass plays after, and only one was completed, and that was to Nick Chubb. We hear it so often in broadcasts. Get the ball to your best players in space and make them make plays. And the Browns just didn't do that with Nick Chubb in the last drive. And in my opinion, it resulted in a loss. And before we get, and that's my take on that Browns Packers game. The Packers, of course, they had a great first half. They did just enough. But I think the Browns played well enough to win that game. And I think the Browns looked like the better team on Saturday, on Christmas Day, than the Packers did at many points and that's why this loss is so frustrating, especially because we saw what happened around them. The Browns would be a game back of Cincinnati right now if they won that game, and they would control their own destiny pretty much to the AFC North title. Instead, they're going to need some help. We're going to get to that in a minute, but we're going to recap the other AFC North games in our AFC North look around. Let's get to the Steelers and Chiefs, because I did watch most of that game, and just to sum up how this game went for the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, CBS cut in about midway through the fourth quarter. By that point, I was watching this game just for fantasy football purposes. But CBS cut in the middle of fourth quarter and said, now let's get you out to a more competitive game. They went to the Raiders-Broncos game and the Raiders were taking a knee. So that what CBS is telling you by that is that they thought the Raiders taking a knee was more competitive and more competitive thing to watch than the Steelers playing the Chiefs. And that, my friends, is hilarious to me. But this game was never in doubt at any point because the Chiefs just absolutely dominated from the first time they had the ball throughout the game. I think I think the Chiefs played well and the Steelers play bad, and both can be true in my opinion. But the final score of this one was thirty six to ten, and I think the Steelers have a problem both with having a quarterback I think needs to retire and also having an offensive coordinator who, in my opinion, doesn't seem like he knows what he's doing at times. It just was tough to watch yesterday. Uh, The the Chiefs, I think they went up 7-0 on a long touchdown drive that resulted in a Clyde Edwards-Hilaire touchdown run. So what does Matt Canada and the Steelers' offense decide to do on the first play after that? Of course, they decide to run a flea flicker with Big Ben. He runs a flea flicker and it gets intercepted immediately, and the Chiefs go down and score once again on a Patrick Mahomes-to-Byron Pringle touchdown pass. But this game was ugly to watch. It just was ugly in every way. Ben Roethlisberger, his stats weren't horrible. He was 23-35, 159 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Najee Harris did rack up over 100 total yards, but the Steelers just couldn't get anything going. They couldn't stop the Chiefs. Mahomes threw for 258 yards, three touchdowns. The Chiefs were able to run the ball as well. Byron Pringle had 75 yards and two touchdowns. And Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey didn't really have much of an impact. And the Chiefs just outplayed the Steelers in every way. The Steelers had two fumbles lost, one interception. They allowed two sacks. They got dominated in time of possessions. They were 5 of 13 on third down. And the Chiefs just were able to run, had a good run pass mix 254 pass yards, 127 rush yards, and they were averaging 5.7 yards per play. But it was just tough to watch. I think the Steelers are incompetent when it comes to offensive play calling. I think it's very predictable that they're either going to run with Najee Harris or they're going to try and throw it to Deontay Johnson, who I think had a horrible game despite his touchdown. He had that one very, very bad fumble, he had a couple of crucial drops, in my opinion. And I just think Mike Tomlin's squad is in danger of finishing below five hundred for the first time since Mike Tomlin has been there. And then that brings us to the last game in the AFC North, the Bengals and the Ravens. And the Bengals have swept both the Steelers and the Ravens this year. And Joe Burrow had one of the best quarterback performances I've seen in a long time. He, he completed 37 out of 46 passes for 525 yards and four touchdowns. Great, great performance for Burrow. Joe Mixon had over 100 yards. He had one rushing touchdown, one receiving touchdown. T. Higgins had 194 receiving yards and two touchdowns. Jamar Chase had over 100 yards as well. And they were just able to shut down the Ravens outside of Mark Andrews, who had 125 yards and one touchdown. But they were able to do a great job. They racked up 575 yards total of offense. Obviously, a lot of those coming through the air. They averaged 8.2 yards per play. They didn't turn the ball over. They dominated the time of possession 38-22. to 22, And they were penalized not very much. And the Bengals are very, very impressive. And they are in the driver's seat for the AFC North title. And this stat just kind of shows you what the future holds for the Bengals and how bright their future is beyond even this year. Joe Burrow this season, he's 25. He's thrown for 4,165 yards. Joe Mixon this season, he's also 25. He's ran for 1,159 yards. Jamar Chase, he's 21, 1,163 receiving yards. T. Higgins, he's 22, 1,029 receiving yards. The Bengals are the first team in NFL history to have a 4,000-yard passer, a 1,000-yard rusher, and two 1,000-yard receivers, all 25 or younger, in the same season. That Bengals core has them competing for an AFC North title now, And it has them in the driver's seat for years and years to come. And that's very, very exciting for your Cincinnati Bengals fan. And that is going to take us to our power rankings following week 16. And this is based off what happened on Sunday, not taking into account the Dolphins game, which I do expect to be a Dolphins win. But let's get to our power rankings right now. The number one team in our power rankings has got to be, I feel like it's a toss-up, but I feel like there's one clear team, and I feel like that's the Green Bay Packers. Um, they staved off, obviously, that late Browns comeback to emerge with the 24-22 victory. Devontae Adams is a special, special player. He had 114 yards and two touchdowns on Saturday against the Browns. Aaron Rodgers is playing at an MVP level, and that defense is opportune when they when the other team makes mistakes. They're great at getting points off turnovers, so that's why, a big reason why the Packers are my number one team in the NFL heading into week 17. Number two, I got the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, they look like the clear-cut favorite in the AFC after rattling off eight straight wins. They had a 36-10 blowout win against the Steelers. We just talked about it. They clinched their AFC West title, and they're the first team in the AFC to lock up a playoff berth. Patrick Mahomes is playing a high level of football. That defense is playing a high level of football. And their running game is starting to produce a little bit more late in the season. So that's why the Chiefs are number two. Number three, we got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, Tom Brady and the Bucs beat beat up on the Panthers 32-6 despite missing their two biggest offensive weapons, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. Antonio Brown came back and he had over 100 yards receiving. The Buccaneers clinched the NFC South title for the first time since 2007, and I still think they have a good chance at making a Super Bowl run. They're number three. Number four, I'm going to go with the Cowboys. Uh, Their defense played very, very well Sunday night against Washington, and Dak Prescott had a vintage prime Dak Prescott performance, throwing for 330 yards and four touchdowns. And if the defense can show up and Dak can show up, this team could be a real problem in the postseason. They're number four in this week's power rankings. Number five, we have the Los Angeles Rams. Despite Matt Stafford's three picks, the Rams were able to hold off the Vikings. Sony Michelle had a great game on the ground. He had 131 yards and a touchdown. And Cooper Cups c- caught one, 10 passes for 109 yards. Aaron Donald in that defense was setting the edge, making plays, stopping the run. The Rams are a complete football team, and I think they can make some noise in the playoffs. They're number five. Number six, we got the Titans. Um, A.J. Brown returned to the Titans' offense and immediately was a difference maker Thursday, having 145 yards and a touchdown. They could potentially get Derrick Henry back for the playoffs, and if they do, they have a chance at making a run to the Super Bowl. They're my number six team in the NFL right now. Seven. We're probably going to go with the Arizona Cardinals. They're starting to unravel a a bit. They've had three straight losses, and it won't get any easier as they head to Dallas next week. The good news is, though, that they have clinched this playoff spot because of their early season success. But I got them at number seven. Number eight, we got the Bills. They got their revenge against the Patriots, beating them 33-21 at Gillette Stadium in Foxborough. They own the division record tiebreaker and, as a result, control control their own destiny to the division title. Buffalo wraps up its season with matchups against the Falcons and the Jets, so I fully expect them to clinch the AFC East title. Number nine, we got the Colts. Uh, they celebrated Christmas with a big win over the Cardinals. They got one of the best running games in the NFL with Jonathan Taylor, probably the best running back in the NFL. And Carson Wentz can make elite throws when he needs to. And that's the X factor for this Colts team. If Carson Wentz can make good throws and not turn the ball over, they can win the Super Bowl. And they'll officially clinch a playoff spot if they beat the Raiders next week. They're number 9. And number 10... We could have gone with the Patriots here, but I'm going to go with the Cincinnati Bengals right now. Like I said, the amount of young talent this Bengals team sets them up, not just for this year, but for the future as well. But they have a huge game this week in Cincinnati against the Chiefs, and that's going to kind of be a show-me game for the Bengals. Right now I have them at 10. Closing out the top 15, 11 would be the Patriots, 12 would be the 49ers, 13 would be the Chargers, 14 would be the Bravens, and then 15 would be the Eagles, with the Browns, Dolphins, and Raiders on the outside of the top 15 looking in. And we're going to go to playoff picture slash scenario right now. So before this Dolphins game happens tonight, here's how the playoff picture looks. One seed in the AFC, the AFC West, AFC West <laughs> title, Winners, the Chiefs. Sit at the one seed in the AFC. They're eleven and four right now. The two seed in the AFC are the Tennessee Titans. They're ten and five. The three seed in the AFC. AFC are the Cincinnati Bengals, who are the leaders in the AFC North at 9-6, and and the fourth seed in the AFC are the Bills, they're 9-6, leading the AFC East. The three wild cards as it sits right now, the Colts, they're 9-6 at the 5-seed, the Bengals are 9-6 at the 6-seed, and Baltimore holds on to that 7th spot at 8-7. However, if the Dolphins win tonight like I expect them to, then the Miami Dolphins would slide into the seventh seed at eight and seven in the playoffs. In the NFC, the playoff picture is set for this week. The Packers are the number one seed, the NFC North champions, they're 12 and three. The NFC East champion, Dallas Cowboys, are the number two seed at 11 and four. The Los Angeles Rams are the three seed at 11 and four, the NFC West leaders. The NFC South title winners, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, are the four seed at 11 and four. And your three wild cards are Arizona at 10 and 5. They're the five seed. San Francisco at 8 and 7 is the sixth seed. And the Eagles, seventh seed at 8 and 7, with Minnesota and New Orleans on the outside looking in. If the Saints win tonight, though, then the Saints would, not, would move to 8 and 7, and it would flip flop the Eagles and the 49ers at 6 and 7. So we're going to assume the Dolphins win tonight, and that brings us to week 17. Let's start with 538. <clears throat> Let's start with 538 which gives you each team's chance to make the playoffs, win their division and all that good stuff. So as it sits right now, there are five teams in the NFL who have clinched the playoff spot officially. And that is the Chiefs, the Packers, the Buccaneers, the Cowboys and the Rams. The Bills have a 99% chance, the Colts have a 97% chance, the Titans have a 99% chance, and the Patriots have a 96% chance. And the Cardinals have clinched. So let's start with the AFC and specifically the Cleveland Browns. The Browns right now have an 11% chance to make the playoffs and 11% chance to win the division. So basically that means the Browns are either going to win the division or not make the playoffs. So let's go ahead and get. Let's go ahead and see how that changes. And let's, the Bengals right now are clearing away the favorites to make the playoffs in the AFC North. The Bengals have a seventy nine percent chance to win the, w- make the playoffs and a seventy two percent chance to win the division. The Ravens have a thirty six percent chance to make the playoffs and eleven percent chance to win the division. And the Steelers have a thirteen percent chance to make the playoffs and a six percent chance to win the division. So giving Miami a win tonight would decrease the Steelers' playoff percentages to 12 and the Ravens' playoff percentages to 30. But let's get into next week's week 17. So just focusing on the AFC North. The Bengals play the Chiefs. Let's say the Bengals lose to the Chiefs. The Ravens lose to LA. And the Browns beat Pittsburgh. The Browns, then... Their playoff chances would skyrocket to 56% chance to make the playoffs and 56% chance to make the division to win the division. So if the Bengals lose to Kansas City and the Ravens lose to the Rams and the Browns beat the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Browns would have a 56% chance to win the division and make the playoffs. Let's say the Browns then go beat Cincinnati in week 18. The Browns would clinch the AFC North and make the playoffs. So so that there there are five things that needed to happen. Now I believe it's only four things that need to happen for the Browns to win the AFC North and sneak their way into the playoffs. They need Kansas City Chiefs to beat the Bengals. They need the Los Angeles Rams to beat the Ravens. And they need to take care of business against the Pittsburgh Steelers and Cincinnati Bengals. If those things happen, the Browns would win the AFC North, be the fourth seed in the AFC playoffs, and they would host a home playoff game at First Energy Stadium. It's crazy to me how plausible that is, but in my opinion, the the least likely part of that scenario happening isn't the Bengals beating the Chiefs, isn't the Ravens beating the Rams, it's the Browns winning one or both of those games. Everything's going to be stacked against the Browns. There's going to be outside noise about Baker Mayfield, about all this stuff. It's going to be Big Ben's last ever game in Pittsburgh on Monday night. The Bengals are going to be hungry. They got some players you have to really, really worry about. So it's going to be tough. But there is still a gleam. There is a gleam, gentlemen. There is a path to the playoffs for the Browns. And that's why all these people who are giving up in the season already, you can't. You got to wait to see how it plays out. And who knows? By the end of Sunday since the Browns do play the Pittsburgh Steelers on Monday night football, the Browns could control their own destiny to the AFC North title. And that just sounds crazy coming out of my mouth, but that's what could happen. So let's go ahead and and so we'll we'll punch that into the playoff machine here. The Browns beat the Steelers, the Chiefs beat the Bengals, the Rams beat the Ravens, and we'll go ahead and just quickly pick some of the other matchups in the AFC and NFC and see how it changes the playoff picture. All right, so if the the those things happen, the Chargers would slide in at the 7th seed as a result of a Ravens loss, and that would be the playoff picture in the AFC. In the NFC, it would relatively remain the same. But let's go to Week 18. Let's say the Browns do clinch that playoff spot after those four things happen, after they beat the Bengals. Let's just go ahead around the league and pick some of these other games just to see how it would affect the playoff picture. There's some... And I, one thing I like about Week 18 this year is that it's all divisional matchups. So that would mean the um, the every team is playing a divisional opponent, which I really, really like. I think it's very helpful So this is very interesting to me. So I've, I've gone, gone ahead and punched that scenario in. And here's what it, the playoffs would look like if they shake out how I think they're going to shake out. Just based off a quick, quick look at Week 17 and Week 18. In Week 18, if that scenario happens, Kansas City would be the one seed with a first-round by at 13-4. and four. Tennessee would be the second seed at 12-5. and five. Buffalo would be the third seed at 11-6, and, and the Browns would be the fourth seed at 9-8. The Browns' wild card matchup would be a team that I don't think anybody wants to face. Wait, hang on. I missed a game here. Yes, yeah, still a team that nobody wants to face, but it would be a little bit better than another team we saw them get blown out against this year. It would be the, the Browns would face the Colts in Cleveland in the playoffs, and it would be a great running back matchup against Jonathan Taylor and Nick Chubb. Uh, The Bills would face the Patriots in the playoffs, and round three of that rivalry. The Titans would face the 10-7 Los Angeles Chargers, and so that's what the AFC would look like. In the NFC, it would be Green Bay at 14-3, one seed. Dallas, 13-4, two seed. Uh, Los Angeles, 13-4, three seed. Tampa Bay, 13-4, 4-seed. Four, four Arizona, 11-6, 5-seed. Philadelphia, 9-8, 6-seed. And, and surprisingly, the 49ers missed the playoffs in this model at 9-8 and eight, as the Saints have a tiebreaker over the 49ers. I have the Saints beating the Falcons and the the Panthers in Week 17 and 18. So if the Saints can do that and the Niners do lose to the Rams like I think they will, then the Niners would miss out on the playoffs and the Saints would make it. So that's very, very interesting to see. But we're going to clear that scenario. Just wanted to give you an update on what the playoff picture might look like if the Browns can't sneak in. So let's go ahead and pick this week's game on our Game Predictor apps and go ahead and see how it affects the playoff scenarios in each conference. So let's start... By giving you our record for this week in our pigskin pick'em on the ESPN app. Let's go ahead and see what we did. So this week we picked all 16 games. We are not going to count the Dolphins games. So I'm going to give you the record for 15 games. So we got 15 games. We went 11-13. We went eleven and four with one game on deck, and we have the, the Dolphins winning that game. So eleven and four isn't bad. Not bad at all. I'll take eleven and four pretty much every week. And it was still still a good week. So let's get to week 17. Starting things off with the Bills and the Falcons. I think this is going to be an easy win for the Bills. I think the Bills should have no problem beating the Atlanta Falcons. Um the Bears and the Giants, kind of an insignificant game. But since it's in Chicago, I will take the Bears to win that matchup. And then this is a crucial one for the Browns, for the AFC North, for the AFC playoff picture as a whole. Kansas City travels to Cincinnati to take on the Bengals. ESPN FPI is giving Kansas City a 61.3% chance to win this game. But it's a great matchup. Uh, Pat Mahomes versus Joe Burrow. We obviously know how that is, but I'm going to take the Chiefs on the road. I just think the Chiefs are a better team. They are playing for a home field advantage, and I think the Chiefs will beat the Bengals in this scenario, and I think the Chiefs get it done. The Raiders, excuse me, the Dolphins and the Titans. It's an important one for both teams, but I think the Titans are going to win simply because it's in Tennessee. So we got the Titans in that one. Raiders, Colts. Uh, I'll take the Colts at home. I think the Colts are the, be- the one of the hottest teams in football right now and I don't see the Raiders getting a win over them and with that win the Colts would clinch a playoff spot. Patriots at ja- uh, versus Jaguars give me the Patriots. Buccaneers at Jets that's my lock of the week. It will be the Buccaneers over the Jets. Eagles and Washington. I'll take the Eagles in this matchup. Uh the Eagles have been playing their best football as of late, and I think the Eagles still have a playoff chance to play for. And I think that's a credit to Nick Sirianni, Nick Sirianni, and what he's done for this team. All right, another game to have circled if you're a Cleveland Browns fan: the Ravens and the and the Rams. ESPN FBI FPI. Gives the Rams a 55.3% chance to win. We don't know if Lamar Jackson will be back for this game. We don't know if Tyler Huntley, who tested positive for coronavirus, will be back for this game. So it's going to be very, very interesting to see. I'm going to pick the Rams just based off what they have to play for and what I've seen the last couple of weeks. So I think the Rams are going to win this game over the Baltimore Ravens, and I think The Browns are going to go into Monday night having a chance to control their own destiny against the Pittsburgh Steelers and control their destiny to an AFC North title, potentially. The Broncos at the Chargers. I'll take the Chargers. Uh, The Texans at the 49ers. Give me the 49ers. So I took the Chargers over the Broncos. We're on 538 making these picks right now after we just made them in the ESPN. We took the Chargers over the Broncos and the Texans over the 49ers. Then we got the Cowboys over the Cardinals. And what else? The Saints over the Panthers. The Seahawks over the Lions. The Packers over the Vikings. And that brings us to Monday Night Football. The Browns versus the Steelers. And I want to talk about this game a little bit. Talk about what's at stake for both teams. For what it's worth, the Browns are favorite in this matchup. ESPN fbi gives the Browns a 53.6% chance to win this game. I think the Browns are a better team than the Steelers, especially this season. I know the Steelers won the head-to-head matchup versus the Browns, but the Steelers just looked awful, awful, awful the last couple of weeks. But then again, so is Baker Mayfield. So what do the Browns need to do? Well, Denzel Ward, Greg Newsome, Greedy Williams, John Johnson, all those guys in the Browns secondary, they need to find a way to force Big Ben to turn the ball over, and they need Big Ben to throw an interception because this season, when Ben Roethlisberger throws an interception – the Steelers are 0-6. When he doesn't throw an interception, the Steelers are 7-1. So if you can force Big Ben to throw a pick, force him to make mistakes, you have a chance of winning the game. So I think the Browns are going to need to force turnovers. The Browns are also going to need to run the football. I know the Steelers' defense has some talented players like Minkah Fitzpatrick, like TJ Watt, like Cam Hayward, but... The Steelers are 31st in yards per game and yards per carry when you run the ball against them. The Browns, we saw it with Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb is one of the best running backs in the NFL. He can run wherever he wants, run however he wants. And he had a great game against the Packers on Christmas running for over 120 yards. The Browns need to stick to the run game. They need to stick to the run game and let the run game set up the play-action pass, and that will be a key to success, in my opinion, for the Browns. And the Browns also need to force Big Ben to turn the ball over, need to establish a run game, and they also can't make unforced errors. You can't get penalized on big third downs. You can't throw four interceptions if you're Baker Mayfield. You need to play your game, not try to outsmart yourself, and if you do that, you'll have a great chance to win. It's Big Ben's last game in Pittsburgh. Last home game in Pittsburgh. He's going to retire. Everything, in my opinion, like, you do really think the Browns would beat the Steelers in Big Penn's game, last game in Pittsburgh? I don't think so. But this season has been so strange. And I think for some reason the Browns are going to do just enough to beat the Steelers. And that would put them at a 56% chance to make the postseason and a 56% chance to win the AFC North. And it will allow them to control their own destiny at the AFC North title. We're gonna to go to break. Here, a quick sponsor, quick ad from our sponsors at Anchor. When we come back, we talk about the NBA and its latest storylines and much, much more. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. And welcome back to season three, episode 28 of the Jack of All Trade Sports Podcast presented by Anchor. Let's talk some hoops, let's talk some NBA basketball. Because the season is in full swings. We just had the Christmas Day games, which is kind of always a good kind of measuring point, measuring stick kind of games for teams that we expected to be title contenders or teams that we expected to be playoff contenders. And this year, there's a concerning trend for one of the favorites for the NBA titles this year. And that, of course, is the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, they played the Brooklyn Nets without Kevin Durant on Christmas Day. And they were down a lot. They were down. I'm thinking 20 or 30 points. They were down. Yeah, they were down 23 points with about seven, eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. Then they proceeded to go on a 31 to eight run led by LeBron James to cut to tie the game at 115 to 115. And then they the wheels just fell off. They kind of ran out of gas and they lose to the Brooklyn Nets 123 to 115 on Christmas. Day one twenty two to one fifteen. Excuse me. On Christmas Day, LeBron's stats from that game: a season high thirty nine points, nine rebounds, and seven assists. Russell Westbrook had a triple double, but he shot four for twenty. And the Lakers consistently have not been able to win without Anthony Davis this year. Even though Anthony Davis hasn't been as good as we've thought he should be this year, so you look at LeBron thirty one point six points per game in his in the last five games. 31.6 Thirty-one point six points, nine point eight rebounds, five point two assists per game, and the Lakers' record in those last five games is zero and five. And the Lakers have gone from sixteen and eleven, or sixteen and thirteen, to sixteen and eighteen. They haven't, and they've had. They have been dealing with COVID, like every team has. They have been dealing with Anthony Davis with a knee injury. hasn't played in a long time. But the fact that the Lakers are losing these games and LeBron James is playing at an MVP level is very, very, very concerning because LeBron used to be able to carry teams to wins, but now he's not been able to do that. You look at their last five games, 110-92 loss to the Timberwolves, 115-110 loss to the Bulls, 108-90 loss to the Suns, 138-110 loss to the Spurs, and 122-115 loss to the Nets. Right now, 538 gives the Lakers a... 18% chance to make the playoffs, and they're projected to finish 35-47. and And I just don't see a lot turning around for this Lakers team unless they can significantly change the way they're playing basketball. And it's not with LeBron James. LeBron James is not the problem. LeBron James is going to go out there and score 25 a night and dish out 10 assists and grab 6 rebounds. It's just what he does. It's who he is. It's who he's always been. But the teams that LeBron has won a title with, the teams that LeBron has had great success with, they've had other options besides LeBron. You think about Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. You think about Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love. I mean, you even think about in 2020 with the Lakers, with Anthony Davis. You even think about... You even think about when LeBron has great shooters, good perimeter shooting around him. His teams seem to do well, but you look at this Lakers team, they are not doing that. Part of it, in my opinion, is because of Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook is a ball-dominant, stat-chasing guard, and when LeBron has played with guys like that in the past, it hasn't worked out. You look at the guards he's had success with. Kyrie Irving was a scoring guard and ball-dominant, but could play off the ball, get open, and make outside shots. Dwayne Wade took a step back from being a ball-dominant guard to being a guard that played off the dribble and played without the ball in his hands that could step up and dominate the ball when he needs to be, but at the same time could fit the role that he needs to I don't see Russell Westbrook doing that I think Russell Westbrook's too good of a player and you're paying him too much money to flat up give up on him but he needs to change his style because this is a great point that I've heard many people bring up has a Russell Westbrook a team Russell Westbrook's ever been on won a title no and there are reasons for that and the reasons for that are the way he plays basketball and the way that basketball is played, in my opinion, by Russell Westbrook teams. The closest they got was a Game 1 win in the NBA Finals in 2011 with a team that had Kevin Durant and James Harden on it, and then they lost four straight to the Miami Heat. They they should have made it back to the Finals in 2016. The Thunder should have, but they didn't. And I think it's partially because of how Russell Westbrook plays the game basketball. I think LeBron and the Lakers are going to need to get some perimeter shooting, At the deadline, they're obviously going to need to get healthy. They're going to need to get Anthony Davis back because you can't waste a year in which LeBron James is playing MVP basketball when he's about to turn 37. You can't waste it. You can't. We are seeing one of the greatest athletes of his generation, one of the best basketball players ever, playing at the highest level almost into his 40s. It's unprecedented. We haven't seen it before, and the Lakers are wasting it, and that is a crime. That's a crime. Let's get to a team that wouldn't waste LeBron's talent, <laughs> but they have a lot of young talent, and that, of course, is your Cleveland Cavaliers. Your Cavaliers, they had a great win last night. They beat the Toronto Raptors 144-99, and it was a dominant win, the Cavs. They win 144-99. Kevin Love and Darius Garland both had... 22 points, and the Cavs, man, they are for real. They're Right now, they sit at 20-13, and 13, they're 5th in the East, and I expect them to finish the year right around that 5th seed in the East, but this rebuild with Coach JB Bickerstaff, who, by the way, just got a contract extension, that's, that's great news. It seems like they have the coach, it seems like they have the young core, and I feel like this Cavs team is only going to get better, but... Like I said, Kevin Love had 22 points. Darius Garland had 22 points. Lowry Markinen had 20 points. And they're, they're getting contributions all over the board. And the, the most impressive part of this, this run that the Cavs are on to me is that they've been dealing with COVID and injuries. Evan Mobley, Jared Allen, both haven't played in a significant amount of time due to the coronavirus. And the Cavs still are finding ways to win. Like I said, right now they sit at 20 and 13 in the in the – NBA right now they are three games back of the Nets for the number one seed in the Eastern Conference they are 20 and 13 they're the five seed in the East they are 10 and 7 at home 10 and 6 and away they're 7 and 3 in their last 10 they just had a dominant win against the Toronto Raptors last night 144 to 99 right now the Cavs sit at 83 percent chance to make the playoffs according to 538 Their projected record is supposed supposed to be 47-35, and and that would get them right around that fifth seed. So it's been a great turnaround for the Cavs, and we've seen it with J.B. Bickerstaff getting a contract extension. We've seen it with all these young guys kind of just taking that next step forward into their primes, like Darius Garland, like Jared Allen, like a Rookie of the Year candidate, Evan Mobley. It's been very exciting to see they've been getting contributions from veterans like Kevin Love, Ricky Rubio, uh Lowry Markinen have made an impact. It, and this Cavs team they're playing basketball the right way, and I think it's it's something to keep an eye on for sure. Uh one thing that the Cavs should not do that's been mentioned about doing before is uh trading for Ben Simmons. Uh this talk initiated over the the weekend. Here's what Adrian Wojnarowski said. He said the Cavaliers who, before they went on this really incredible start to the season, had been engaged with Phileon Simmons. They've got some really intriguing assets, either in a straight deal or perhaps a three- or four-team deal. It was reported earlier that J.B. Bickerstaff agreed to a new extension today through 2026. This is a team in Cleveland that's just a game out of third place. Philly is a team right now in that bunched-up East who could be out of the play-in with a couple of losses the way it's bunched up. So expect Philly to start take, talking more with teams as we get closer to that February 10th deadline. And it'll be interesting to see if Cleveland reengages as a team that I think is built for long-term success with all of their young players. Ben Simmons is only 25 years old. He does fit into the timeline of that team. But I don't think they should do it. The Cavs are such a young, talented team. They're, they had the pieces in place, and I think bringing in an ego like Ben Simmons, although he has shown the potential to be a good player, I think it would kind of ruin this chemistry and these things that the Cavs have built. And I just don't think it would be a good idea. I think that the Cavs should kind of roll with what they have and try to make smarter additions elsewhere. So the Cavs did get a big win. They But when a big question is when will the Cavaliers players in the health and safety protocols return to the team? They have guys like Isaac Okoro, Jared Allen, Evan Mobley in the protocol. So they're out for at least 10 days, or if they get a negative on two PSR, PCR tests in a 24-hour period before being cleared to return. So that's what Larry Markin and Kevin Love did when they were in the protocols earlier this season. So... If they don't test out, uh here are the days that these Cavs would be able would, would be able to come back. Uh Isaac Akoro is eligible to come back whenever he was listed questionable play with a status of return to competition and conditioning. So he his his day 10 was December 26th, so he's eligible to come back. Evan Mobley's 10 days is up the 28th, Jared Allens is up the 29th, Dylan Windlers is up the 29th, and Jetty Osman is up the 4th. So that's when the Cavaliers could be getting some of those guys back. And you look at at this Cavs' upcoming schedule, they got a chance to get some nice wins, especially when they get... guys back like Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, and all that good stuff. They play the Pelicans tomorrow in New Orleans, and they got the Wizards, the Hawks, the Pacers, the Grizzlies, and the Blazers. Those, in my opinion, are all winnable games for the Cavs in this stretch, and it it gives them a nice amount of wins before they get into a a tougher part of their schedule that includes facing the likes of the Warriors, the Jazz, the Spurs, the Nets, and the Bulls. That's in mid-January. So this is an important stretch for the Cavs to kind of keep up with Pushing towards the playoffs and showing that this isn't just a fluke good run to start the start of the year. It is a chance that they could be a playoff team down the stretch. So I think the Cavs, they've been playing very well this young season. They're going to get some guys back and it's going to be exciting to watch. But these next six games before they play Golden State are going to be crucial for the Cavs to go 4-2, and 5-1, and or 6-0 and during. And that is going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to follow the podcast on Instagram at Jot Sports Pod. That's at J O T Sports Pod. Go ahead and follow me on Twitter for my other reporting, including my television announcing. That's the Twitter account is at TV. That's at TV. We're going to be come back next week with another great episode, hopefully talking about a Browns win over the Steelers on Monday Night Football and preview, pre, recapping Week 17 in the NFL and previewing the last week in the NFL season. But until then, I hope everybody has a happy holiday season. Hope everybody had a great Christmas, and I hope everyone has a happy, happy new year. I've been Jack Burney, signing off.